Welcome back to The Last of Us Breakdown slash Deep Dives, episode three. Um, I thought it was amazing. Just as, like, super high-level impressions. Like, damn. Like, at an emotional level, I was trying to think as I was watching it, what compares to this as, at an emotional sense? And Jordan, you'll know this because we talked about it before, but Euphoria season two, like, episode five or six, when Rue has her breakdown... But, like, that was kind of more like one scene, whereas, like, this entire episode kind of brings you through the story that just leaves you in this emotional wreck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't specifically remind me of Euphoria, but now, now that you say that, I know what you mean. Um, like, just from an emotional stroke point. Like, it's obviously yeah. a very different show, but, like, just, like, how it pulls the emotion out from the audience, at least from my perspective. Yeah, and it was unsuspected. Like I did not expect that. Not from this show. Yeah. Not even close. No, at least not that, yet. <laughs> yeah, especially that early. Because I was like, all right, let's see what they do. Um, and like I'll say, for me, this was the first episode watching that I was like, didn't really know how it was gonna end, or like I was kind of like, okay, where is this going? And I was like, I kind of remember this character from the games. I don't remember this storyline. Um. So it was like cool to like be able to watch and be like, okay, let's just see what's gonna happen. And I was like, yeah, that is some of the best writing and work in a television show in a while that I've seen. That was just phenomenal. Yeah, it definitely departed huge from the the games here, um, and I think they pulled it off perfectly because I think this is like this is the perfect way to expand the world of The Last of Us, right? Like from all the people who played the games, it's like, it's the Ellie and Joel show, right? But in reality, it's like, there's a whole bunch of other people. I mean, we kind of alluded to this in the last breakdown we did, where we're like, well, you could play with this. I actually know if we recorded it, but like, you could play with the lives of a whole bunch of other survivors and how do they did it? And it's like, well, clearly the writers and Neil Druckmann were, were on the same page as we were because they, they went and did it. <laughs> And they pulled it off great. I think Nick Offerman and uh, who played, I forget, you just said it, the guy who played Frank. Murray. Murray. Murray Bartlett? Yeah, there you go. Um, both of them, I think they just, they just worked magic into bringing these characters to life, I think. And it just, it told a very human story, which I'm a sucker for human stories. Yeah. I knew nothing about this character going in. I, I didn't remember seeing... My, the extent of my exposure to the game is watching a bunch of the, uh, cut scenes way, I mean, years ago when I was in the Marine Corps still. So this was forever ago, 2014, yeah. 2013. Um, so I didn't remember anything about this character at all and wondered if the game had that whole storyline as well, found out at the end that it was alluded to, but never a major part of the game. Um, the character, uh, Nick Hofferman's character was a big part, but I didn't remember him. Um, I general take was I liked it. Um, I think it, it's, I still struggle to see Nick Offerman as anyone other than the character from, uh, what's they called? Parks uh, and Rec. Yeah. Right, yeah. 
Uh, so I have to, I, it's like, I have to like shake my head and go, hold on. Like, <laughs> let me try to look at this plainly. But it's not Ron Swanson, I swear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, some quip <laughs> about how the government is horrible. And we got a couple from him, which was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. He wasn't, yeah. he did play a prepper yeah. guy. And yeah, right. He was still That's a libertarian. Hilarious. It was great. Um, it yeah, I think I liked it overall. I think that yeah, I like that the, I like what it signifies. I like that it shows that the directors and writers are willing to uh, meander, that they don't feel like they have to stick to the story too closely. Um, and that the, when they do that, they seem to do a good job fleshing it out. Um, I struggled with a bit of the sentimentality. Part of that is just because uh, I'm straight, so watching them be romantic, I'm like, I can't put myself in these shoes. It's not working. Like, I have a hard time feeling the emotion that they would be feeling in that situation until it gets to um, emotions I can recognize. Like, when he's, I'm skipping way ahead from the beginning, but when uh, Frank is dying or is making the decision to die and Nick Offerman's character is broken up about that, that I felt deeply because that's like the loss of someone you love transcends your sexual orientation but the real issue for the sentimentality for me was that it was it still felt strange to see that in the context of their world and it's not that i can't imagine something like that happening per se it might be more like the pacing something um, I don't know. I, I had a hard time buying it to some degree, but once I kind of got, like, said, okay, I'll suspend my disbelief and move forward, uh, then it wasn't really an issue. And I thought that they progressed from there pretty well. And I liked seeing how they had created a semi normal life under those conditions. I, I almost wish you would have seen a bit more. This is a me thing. I would have really liked to see them doing, like, setting up more traps and doing more action stuff and being like, how does one survive on a commune, like a two-person commune and during the apocalypse? <laughs> uh, not the fucking point. <laughs> so, I think this is supposed to be more of, like, the opposite of, like, how does someone live, like, a normal life instead of the life of this this ultra utilitarian survivalist story that you expect to see in these kinds of stories the walking dead is that they're all like okay let's flip it on its head and say you can still find love in the most unlikely of places yeah and i don't i'm not complaining Word. they made just... <laughs> uh, that they did it right that it was it was wise of them to meander to take um and a moment to be sort of intimate in this sort of odyssey story that we have going on with joel and Elle, ellie um, to just be sort of human for a moment despite the craziness and yeah i like i really liked the ending as sad as it was um there's humor in there that i really liked i i mean we'll get into the details on each scene more specifically in a second but yeah i think overall i think it was it signified something remarkable of the directors and writers and that it was well executed. I yeah. I think too the like the way they structured the episode was kind of unique. Like I don't think I've ever really seen an episode 
of a show anywhere really that's kind of done this where it kind of still starts out with Joel and Ellie picking up right where they left off for a little bit and they're just kind of walking on the road and then all of a sudden it like jumps to or really it jumps back in time in the place of Bill um as basically everything is going to shit with the plague or the infection spreading but then he's because he's this prepper type he's kind of prepared in some sense and it does like these time jumps i think it's like the first one is only a couple years after the main outbreak and then he's it's like four years later after that or something like that so you basically just see him as he's kind of becoming more and more of a loner and more of a more of like a survivalist of like this is my community this is my little plot in the world and i don't want nobody in it yeah you know and it's it, i think they really captured that essence like i was like oh damn this is interesting like even if they didn't turn the story into the emotional turn of it i was like damn this is really like gives you more of that like how do people adapt and survive in this world like that's what i was initially in engaged with and then when it changed where he met frank i was like oh shit and and if anyone else wants to pick up from there, I think that's kind of like the inciting incident of this entire episode where everything kind of takes a very different direction than what you expect. Yeah, I want to go back quick to the the transition. Go ahead. Um, that was really, really dope how they did that scene. Um, one of the emotional components that they can pick up in that 15-minute opening with uh, Joel and Ellie and how um, Ellie comes across that uh like trapped stuck um infected thing in the basement in that moment where she like gets close to it and like is like performing an experiment out of like you know dissecting it and like oh that was gross by the way yeah i was like that's <laughs> disgusting um but then seeing her just like i'm curious what she was going through but then when she like it looks like she gets pissed and like stabs it in the face or something and i was like I'll, they'll come back to that i'm sure um but just how they can stack that in and then that emotion where Joe's like, oh, you know, when the outbreak happened, they would bring these people to a QZ and if there is no room, they just got rid of them. Yeah. Um, and they zoom in on like the clothes and that's when the transition happens and you see, like you see this article of clothing. I forgot what it was. It was like a, it was like a dress. Shirt. It was like a dress like or flowers or something on it. Yeah. But yeah, you're totally, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. It hit me in the moment and I forgot about it until you said it right now because of all the rest of the episode that happened afterwards. Right. But it was a great way to like highlight like the almost a loss in humanity because like the way Joel said it was like the ephedra, like even if you weren't infected, it was too much of a risk to have the even the opportunity to get infected because it, it, this thing just spreads like crazy. So that it was like it's easier just to have less people than like that's really, really dark. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just the <laughs> that was heavy because it was a baby's clothes. When they do the transition, they have a child wearing. Yeah, it was like a child outfit. with a mother. I yeah, think. it was the mom's dress, but she was carrying the child. But she was carrying the. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Um, it, it, still really dark. Yeah, it's like yeah. Jesus. Um, so they nailed that, and then also just before that, Joel explaining where at least they think the infection spread. I thought that was really important, but they didn't hang there too long because it eventually, you know, people look for plot holes, right? And you're like, well, how did everyone get it if it's by biting? Who was the first? So I was like, oh, that's really dope. They just threw that in there. Um, and then I posted this video on Instagram that I saw. The ones that I think you liked it. Um, so IG, and if people are interested, it's like, where did the where did the infection start or something like that? 
Yeah, yeah. And they Joel explains how it's like it's spread through flour. Um, and in the first episode, there's a lot of different instances where Joe and Ellie, or not uh, Ellie, but Sarah, his daughter, have a chance to eat flour, whether it be like pancake mix, but they're out of it. She can't make pancakes or the, the neighbor's biscuits and the neighbor's the one who's infected. It was or, like oatmeal cookies or something like yep, that. It, like yeah. she... Sarah has a chance to eat it, but then chooses to not to because she doesn't like raisins or something like right, that. Right, it was literally, ooh, chocolate chip? No, raisins. And then, like, that's the decision that saves your life yeah. for yeah. like 10 minutes. <laughs> so it's like, it's just a cool time. If that was intentional, which I assume it probably was. Um, it feels really intentional dope. enough, right? Like, like, since when do you get these kind of little breadcrumb trails? Because bouncing back to episode two, the, the infection in Indonesia if you listen to the, what they, I think it's the mycologist talking to the government official guy, the general or whoever he is, she asked where did it happen? And she said, oh, at a grain factory. Mm. And so the initial outbreak happened, or at least as far as I can tell, is some worker at this grain factory. And you'd think too, that if you're storing a whole bunch of grain where you're making flour, you're going to have places that are hot, humid, and breeding ground for molds and funguses. So if this viral and strain of cordyceps as it is explained in the show it seems like the perfect breeding ground to jump to humans but those small details man i mean i feel like we keep talking about it every time but it really i feel like i don't want to get lost on that because it's really important because you can show that care right and we keep saying that but i mean I really me, me and you talk, harp on this all the time yeah because it just it <laughs> makes it it makes it feel real and obviously this is not a real thing you know what i mean but it just makes it more plausible um, and that the creators of it really gave a shit about what they're making. Um, and that kind of translates to this episode as a whole, cause it felt so human. It was like a human story in this, just set in this world of like chaos. Right. Um, and that brings to when we meet Bill and he's kind of looked like that typical gung ho gun guy that's like oh i'm just gonna be prepared just in case and it's like all right you're in today's world it's like you're kind of crazy dude like you're a little off but in this world it's like oh yeah he's vindicated he's <laughs> like well, i knew it he's like i knew the government was nazis <laughs> yeah that was like my favorite fucking lie was where they're arguing they're arguing and he's like he's like i don't live in your world where the government are all nazis the government are all Nazis. He's like, <laughs> now they are, but they weren't. <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. I love that. He's like, 9-11 was not an inside job. <laughs> oh, it's so great. I mean, we, we can't help but bounce around in this episode because it's all like, interconnected, but it's yeah. it's really good. Like, I, I felt, it felt so, almost like an exhalation. Like, this entire episode was, was kind of like a, a pressure relief valve to kind of step out of Joel and Ellie's story, I think. Whereas, like, if you were just being honest and telling, like, sticking to the plot, right? Like, just, like, this is Last of Us. We're going to just railroad right through this, you know, like a story on wheels. They could have totally done that. This is all we're going to tell with Joel and Ellie. But then they decide to really just take a detour and just say, okay, let's, let's have fun and, like, explore all the characters that maybe we don't get to do inside of the game world. And... I think it shows a level of, a level of, hmm, what's the word? Like, maybe just attention to detail to tell something bigger than what it is, right? Like, it was, it's like taking a risk too, right? Because there's a certain level of the game audience that are going to be like, what the hell's going on here? 
But also it's like, if you really do care about the show or the, or just the, the brand of the last of us, this is what you want to see, right? Like you just love the world. So it's like, damn, this is great. This is like, you get more texture and more everything about it. Right. Yeah. They're able to detach from Joel's perspective and a video game you're stuck to his. So like by the time you meet Bill in the game, um, the event with Frank already happened. Obviously they changed it, right? Changed some things. Um, but like, you wouldn't see it. Would it make sense to show that story in the game? Yeah. But they hint at it. Oh, he had a lover. He died. I think you, you read know. the letter. Um, again, we're jumping to the end of the episode, but I think the letter or something yeah. is, is available to the players and like, you have to choose to really read it. But for the most part, yeah, it's not something that is like, you can pass it. Yeah. Maybe. Like yeah. if you don't really care, like if you're just, I just want to play through the story and that's it, then you're never going to get that. Right. And that's like the cool part, the liberty you have in this space, you know, making TV. It's like, oh, well, we can't, they hinted at this. Let's go into it. Let's tell that story condensed, you know? Yeah. And you're right about, um, you're both right. Uh, one's all about the fact that they didn't railroad it through and that Jordan, that part of the, one of the things that gave them that freedom not to just drive that story was the fact that they're not attached to Joel's perspective like you are in the game. I think that you're right. He couldn't have worked in the game. It's a, um, it's kind of this, this intimate exploration of a world outside of Joel's that has direct effect on his. And that these are people that are living their lives the same as he is. He's not alone in the, in the struggles of living in this world. Uh, other people have their own version of this. They're all going to suffer in their own particular way. And you'll see how the loss of his friends right after the loss of his closest friend will influence his dedication to keeping this girl alive. Mm -hmm. I also think too, it, it, I just thought of this right now as you're explaining it, but it, I think it really fits to the, like, what does the last of us mean? Right? Like there's a line and Jordan, you shared this on Instagram, I think today, but it's, um, Bill says to Frank and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm getting old or something like that. And he, and then Frank goes, well, older means we're still here. Or, or something like that. I, I think I've made that made a mis made a yeah. mistake. No, that, I think that's. I um, think that's it. But I, I, like, I really felt that line. Like that line was like, oh my god. And like, I think that, in some sense, is like the sentiment of what The Last of Us represents. Like, it's not about the big government conspiracies. It's really not about the infection. But what it is about is like, how do we as humans keep that little tiny sliver of humanity? that we can still connect to one another instead of being like, well, this is my little plot of land. I'm going to protect it at all costs. I'm going to have the shower. I'm going to have the guns. I'm going to have all of this prepper stuff, but can I still let someone into my life that I care about deeply? And, and yeah. I mean, honestly, the creators of this show say, yes, you can still be human. And when all things go to hell, which is, I think, honestly, a very, uncynical take of what most people kind of look at the world in right now. Like if we're going to 
bring this into modern context, but I think people really are cynical. And this show challenges that cynicism. Yeah, without being um, a Pollyanna. Yeah, it's definitely not perfect. That's for sure. Well, meaning that life, at no point do they say life gets you down, but you can always make fucking lemonades out of it, right? It's never, <laughs> it's never cliche. It's no. never this hyper-optimistic trope. Mm-hmm. They don't whitewash the fact that this is a pretty dark and bleak world that they're living in. Um, but at the same time, they're willing to accept or explore the idea that you could have a meaningful and fulfilling life, even when things are as dark as they are in that show. And that's, I think they've thus far, I think they've done a good job trying to find that balance, trying to strike it a little bit, just to see where it is that you can find a a good thing. Like, it's like the diamond in the rough, yeah. like that thing that's like maybe covered in grime and, you know, whatever. And then I think even like toward the midpoint, like after um, Frank and Bill have been together for, I think, four or something years, it's in the same scene with the argument where Bill's like the Nazi comment and, and like he's like, Frank is like, I don't want to just live here in this, I mean, proverbial guardian of Eden, right? Like. He wanted to still have connection to the outside world. And he's like, I'm going to go fix up like the boutique shop or um, the clothing shop and stuff like that. And Bill's like, what, is, what are you talking about? Like, that's not pragmatic at all. Um, but then it's like in a couple, like the next scene or whatever, he goes like, but we're going to have friends. And Bill's like, I don't want friends. Like, fuck friends. <laughs> but then at that next scene, is it's Joel and uh, Tess are there for dinner. And it's they're, they're kind of like, I think it's like maybe seven years or something like that. It's a it's a while before everything because Joel's definitely not as old in this scene, but you really get a sense for like the kind of person both Bill is and Joel is, and even Tess. Like it's it just really sh- like kind of imparts like why this character makes sense to the grander scheme of the story, but it feels like. I don't know. It's, it's also kind of juxtaposed, right? Because they're actually eating real dinner on plates and <laughs> like you don't things you totally don't expect in this chaos and like everything's broken down, but yet somehow there's a shred of um the old world, I guess, still there. The normalcy. It was weird. It's like the right. normal the normalcy of it was weird <laughs> in the context <laughs> of what they were doing. Um and it was like it was almost like that was lost on Frank and a little bit of Tess even at that point. Um but you see Bill there with this freaking pistol <laughs> on the table the whole time. And then uh, Joel, I think at one point he even says, he's like, get that pistol out yeah, of my face. Like, Joel is like not about that gun at all, which which totally <laughs> yeah. fits the character too. Like it's, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because like them two in ways are like the same person. They're like very like grounded and like, okay, this, this is weird. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, and Bill is like, why are you here kind of thing? We don't need friends. And Joel's like, yeah, you're fenced. I give it about a year. But if you work with us, give us weapons, whatever their trade was. Joel was like, I can give you enough that it'll last the rest of your life. And so I was like, ah, okay. Well, this has to be transactional. Where Frank and Tess were already off inside freaking doing whatever the hell they were doing. They're completely just like about the relationship, the connection right. of which, everything. Which like makes you so know? much sense in the context of everything. I'm like, oh, there it is. Like you got the ultra survivalist on one side and then you got the like, least um i guess more artsy i don't even know like emotional connective tissue type person 
and I don't even I'm blanking on the technical term, but, but yeah, it makes sense. I think that, oh, sorry. I was going to say that to the point of the normalcy in this whole bizarre world, there was he was. I think there was like a it was something more than just being normal. The fact that the, the, what looks normal is remarkable and juxtaposed when contrasted with their circumstances. But there's also, there's something more inside, which is that it's beautiful that there's a grain of something of beauty that exists in the life that they have and have created. Either it's the well-cooked steak or whatever <laughs> he makes, a really nice dinner with a, oh, it was rabbit and he appropriately pairs wine with yeah. rabbit. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful meal, right? Well-made or if it's growing strawberries in a garden or painting the house or just painting a portrait, right? There's, there's this, they've carved out a little world for themselves and they've started to make something beautiful out of it in the midst of all the tragedy that gets to, again, the sort of diamond in the rough or theme the whole episode yeah honestly it gave me a deeper appreciation for like how humans create art and things that seem like a waste of time right like if you think about it from an objective standpoint making things beautiful like like taking time out of your day to grow a strawberry and and doing these things that that seem extravagant maybe or super like you could probably get better nutrition quality from a fucking potato than you could get it from a strawberry just from like total volume of calories right but there's still something like in this bleak and drab world you can still grow strawberries and the sun is setting and the way they filmed that shot and you just get that moment of like this is what it's like to eat something sweet it's like oh that's what it is. Like, there it is. There's that shred of human, like, no matter what the fuck is going on, you still crave something, like, like a little tiny shred of something to hold on to, whatever that might be. Yeah, it was that, that like, childlike giddiness yeah. of, like, when Bill's, like, 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 he giggles, like, literally giggles when he takes a bite out of the strawberry, and I'm like, dude, this is just so human. Like, it's just, it's such a beautiful story they're telling. Um, and how like you almost forget you can forget that it's like right outside those walls it's like nothing but danger right um but they found peace within each other um and like learn to enjoy almost a simple part of life it's just being with the people you love right and experiencing things um but yeah it just i feel like this episode as a whole you know stepping back a little bit i think it articulates what the overall story of this show and this game is, I think it's the best representation of what like we're getting into, mm -hmm. right? Um, that yeah, it's a zombie show story, whatever, but it's not really about that, right? It could be anything just like a disaster that they're living through, but it's essentially about people and the connections you make and like love and loss and things like that. Um, and I feel like this episode represents that more so than any other thing in the genre that I've seen yeah. to this point, at least. It's interesting because I'm trying to think of the other zombie shows and movies and how they play it. And there's a bunch of different ones. 
they'll play it kind of differently. I mean, the main theme that comes up is usually the danger isn't the zombies, the danger is the people. You know, like, <laughs> that's like the criminal. <laughs> yeah, always it's always the cliche. Or, or it's, so it's either very fixated on the people or it's very fixated on the zombies. And that's usually like, um, for comedic or, um, sort of action effect. Is it you're just, it's, what was that crazy movie with Bautista that was, oh, in a, it was the one in that. Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I forget yeah, the yeah. name of it, but it was, it was. kind of. But it's a, just an adrenaline packed thrill ride and you get to watch them blow up zombies yeah. and you're like, that's there cool. for the, it's, it's there for the VFX, not for the storyline. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's like we're either directing it or, or we're, we're categorizing that zombie world into zombies or people. And then we're fixating on one or the other. And I'm trying to think of a show or movie that fixates on the psychological consequences of people relating to the zombies, meaning like where, where are the psych, where's the remorse? Where's the trauma? Where's the sadness? Where's the, all this just from the zombie, like the way that we would interact with something that used to be human or to see every day, another family that's been turned into a fucking, I can't, I can't think of a show that does that at no, all. No, there really hasn't been a big one like that. I mean, I think there was a, back in early 2000s when the zombie stuff kind of kicked off, there was what was called Marvel zombies, which was a, this is totally a tangent, but, uh, there's a point. The thing that happened in that one is that all the superheroes became zombies and, but they retained their level of consciousness, even though they were zombies, they, they just were, had an insatiable hunger. And what that wound up being is that they ate the people they cared about the most. And yeah, so that leads to some really disturbing categories like Spider-Man ate Mary Jane and Aunt May and like, yeah, like it's just really, really, really <laughs> messed up. But also, like, part of the what made the story interesting was that they had to live with this guilt of effectively murdering all the people they cared about most. And, like, basically, the cardinal sin, the very people they swore to protect were the very people they, as soon as they became zombies, it was all over. Um, and I and that's always been part of the thing that I thought was really psychologically interesting about zombies is when you get infected, you have to make that hard decision as a person for the people you care about most, you have to do something about that person. Either you lock them away and hope you can find a cure or you have to end them. Like those are your two options. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's nothing you could do. And that's just psychologically damning in either direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think full metal alchemist touches on, it's not zombies, but touches on like, you know, a person turning into something else and kind of, I think towards the end of it, there's like the, the mindless hordes or whatever. And, uh, the yeah. protagonist and that Edward Elric, it like has a, he touches on the conflict. He's like, I don't want to kill him. And then they're right. like, oh, they're already, they're not, they don't exist anymore. And then, you know, the crazy scene that's kind of at the start of this show with, um, what's the, the, the Chimera, the Nina, everyone who's seen yeah, that yeah, show yeah. knows that. I think that touches on it the most. It's different, but I think it's the sentiment that you're bringing up, Joe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It's, it's right. The, the homunculus, particularly Nina, in this way that these, 
there's a loss of sympathy. I mean, I'm not exactly criticizing the last of us here. I'm just noting a trend that I'm seeing across these types of shows and films and what looks like a blind spot. Um, I don't see anyone that relates to zombies in a way that's humane, that looks something like a human way of interacting with this, where largely it's like spectacle. And I think some of them are, um, a kind of, uh, violent, like revenge fantasy that fuels some of these movies that people want the chance to take out all their anger on something and that this is a morally justifiable human-like thing you could take it out on and it's a good way to kind of do horrible things and feel good about it and people like the fantasy so i imagine you wouldn't find many zombie shows that would humanize them because it actually breaks what people go to these things for which is something like catharsis yeah i am legend does this mm-hmm. a little bit but but in oh. the book more yeah. so because the book and, it, it yeah. really highlights the it's that the main character you follow is actually this legend in the zombie civilization and he's this like mass right. murderer effectively <laughs> and it's like I am Omega. Yeah, or I forget like what it, I forget what they call him, but you f- you don't find this out until like the very end. So spoilers, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those really interesting like juxtapositions. It's like you think he's yeah. standing up against the zombie hordes, but instead this guy's the actual boogeyman to the zombies. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that one. Huh. Yeah. yeah, good call on that one. Maybe um, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> only like the last scene <laughs> <laughs> I'm awful <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's, that's amazing so where, where are we now so we just got through but, like the midpoint of the episode yeah but part of the reason I brought that up is because it remind it it's the same that's spirit that kind of sadistic spirit of like you get to take out some kind of something on a human-like thing um and be morally justified in doing so i think looked to me like what motivated ellie to cut up and run her little experiment on the trapped cordyceps what are you where we call these infected. things i don't know zombies just, i just call them infected, infected. yeah because she's she's looking at them and she's not really scared. She's more intrigued and cuts him open and just kind of wants to see it. And if this was even, if this was, it didn't even have to be a human. If this was a squirrel, you'd be like, put that fucking kid away. <laughs> like, like, this is dark. Like, this one's going to be bad, bad batch. <laughs> like, in that moment, you. You kind of, I don't know if I, I think I got her and then I could see what was going on, but I was like, I don't know if this is good. I worry that this whole world is a dehumanizing force. All I can say to that is I think to be continued. That. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> be- yeah. I think you nailed that though. Yeah. I think mm. you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, look at, I think she's supposed to be 14. Um, and I mean, just given the state of this world, it's 
you can't help but look at, I mean, most people as either things or tools or things that need to be moved away, like obstacles, right? Because you look at Fedra, Fedra just is an organizing function, but they're brutal in their own way. And then you have the infected who are, you know, mindless or, or single-minded focus, right? All they want to do is consume or whatever you want to call it. And then you have either scavengers who are just trying to get the job done and everything is transactional just to survive. And then you have the fireflies who believe the med methods of Fedra are against their own ends, whatever that means. And they are willing to fight however they see fit to get their way of life. So it's like you have all these intercompeting groups or factions, effectively, that that dehumanize everybody in their own way. I mean, it's crazy. It's almost in the title, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like when the world is ending, what happens to the last of us, right? And it's like, this is what it is. Chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then you try to keep your humanity in it. Um Fuck, I wish we got to the ending because I want to talk about it so bad, but we'll get there when we get there. The ending of the yeah, whole thing. The ending of the whole, episode, whole but, series. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I feel like they're building toward it, but yeah, keep the anticipation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love, so I guess we, if we go back to the episode, what, um, I don't remember exactly where we were. We were like just after but, um, the their argument scene and Joel and Ellie's or not Joel, Joel and Ellie, Joel and Tess's little lunch dinner thing that they did there. Right, right. And Joel, like, gives a little warning. He's like, people are going to come. Oh, I right. Think, he like, did eventually. say that. Yeah. Um, and this was the literally only thing in the episode that I was like, what is going on? Um, because when people do eventually come and start attacking, right? And the scene is dope. I mean, it's, like, intense. Frank wakes up and he's, like, calling for Bill and it's kind of chaotic. Um, but then when he finally goes outside and finds Bill, Bill's in the middle. Anyone who has any type of combat knowledge, even the tiniest bit, he's standing in the middle of the street with just like a sniper rifle, just like. Dude, I was so annoyed by that scene. I'm like, like, dude, there's like five guys out there shooting through this chain link fence and you're expecting not to get shot? What? Yeah. I'm like, bro, <laughs> get some cover, bro. Like, go prone at least. You're just standing like, this guy's straight so prepared. Up. You'd think he'd have like a sandbag bunker. He could just roll out there and be like, let's go, fam. Right? <laughs> I was like, come on, man. And then, of course, he gets shot, right? Not any time before that, but right as Frank's like, Bill, he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It's a show. So that had to happen, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that was all I know you were probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, hold on, is that a bolt? I thought that was a bolt-action rifle, too. I was like, dude, get a semi-auto. You're in combat. What the fuck are you doing? Like, that guy should have had an M4 or M16. He had a whole collection of rifles, let's be honest. Dude, I was thinking about this. I was like, dude, the whole fence surrounding this area, I would clear out everything around the fence so there's no fucking cover as soon as you get close. So these people are in the open when they're invading. You have sandbags set up where the fuck you want. You got cover for days, baby. <laughs> Just put them all in the open. <laughs> what you want, Nick Crawford? Joe would have an entire tunnel system of different shooting positions so you can never even see he'd be oh, like a groundhog yeah. just come popping out of his little hole. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, bring, I'm gonna drag them into Vietnam, dude. You wait. Put these sticks. It'll be fucking dark. Man. Oh, man. 
But yeah, I'm glad you guys noticed that too, because I was like, okay, I was like, all right, whatever. That's not. It the didn't point last of this, very so long, so it's not like he was shooting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I think that's not. They're not. The point of it wasn't them getting attacked. It kind of moved pretty quickly, so I was like, okay, whatever. It should prove um, that paradise is not. It's fragile, right? And yeah. it was a nice shot, you know. He's he's silhouetted with the fire. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it was badass. Right? It was a cool way of like, like bringing you to the character i thought like running to the like following over the shoulder like a like a steady cam uh over frank and just like the chaos of it of like where is this and it's like it's like you really felt immersed in the action which is i, I wish there was more shows like that yeah. like where you just had this like gritty and level I, of camera work no i liked i like how they did the bullets mm. from his perspective because you hear him cracking and going by and hitting things, but they never like get overt where they break through the window or something. You're like, oh man, things are crazy. You just know something is going on out there. Like it kept the audience at a distance enough that it was like, I need to check this out. Instead of us being in it, we're sort of entering mm. into it. Right. And I, I liked that a lot. I really liked that they didn't have the bullets like shoot through the window or something. That they were just. Yeah close but you can't really tell where that's an interesting yeah i didn't even catch that yeah yeah that's a good point um yeah and then when uh man my i was already ready for like the tears because i thought i thought this was like the good so did I. I, I, I thought I he like, died oh, honestly okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah i was i was waiting for it i was like fuck here we go um and then I was shocked because the next scene after that, they're both there, but then that's Frank who's like in a yep. wheelchair. And I'm like, oh, it, okay, it's like we're a going this 10 way. year <laughs> jump, I think, after that scene ends, something like they're yeah, significantly yeah. older, at least just by the way they did the makeup. It's like, oh, wow, we're, we're, we have passed some time. You know, but, um, and this is when the emotions set in for real. Um, I'm sure for everyone who watched. Um, and, uh, they, they play this song that's used a lot and it's funny cause I was just, I think they might've used it in the whale. I might be wrong, but something recently I, I saw, um, it's called the nature of daylight. It's like a beautiful song, but in that montage of them when they're older, um, it's funny. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was telling Alex, I was like, this song is always used and it's such a beautiful song to like find another song. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they use it here and I was like. The song is just perfect for this though. Like, so like, yeah, I guess it makes sense. They used it. Um, and I think I skipped a little bit, but you know, as you figure out what's going on with Frank, um, oh, shit, that's so tough. And Joe, this is what you touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. This is when you connected. And I literally was like tearing up. I'm like, dude, if I don't even know how emotionally you process that, it's like, you're in this world. It's really just you two, right? And they have this terminal illness and he wants, you know, Frank's like, he wants to go out on his own. He doesn't want to wait till wastes away what I'm assuming to be cancer. I don't know what it, I don't think they said what it was, but it looked like Parkinson's, maybe whatever it to Parkinson's. Yeah. Cause just like the way his hands, like he couldn't use his hands as well anymore. Like he was struggling opening things and he was like into painting obviously at that point, but like he just, his hands mm. were just not mm. the same. So it's just a neurological degeneration, which is never good. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but, he, you know, him wanting to go out on his own and say, like, I want this last day to be great. 
Dude, that um, speech. It was a very normal that day. Speech too, he gave. But... I was like, oh. He's like, not all Dude. the days are good days, but I've had more good days with you than anybody else. Let's have one last good day. I was like, fuck. Dude. <laughs> then having to ask your lover, your partner, to do that. I was like, fuck, I don't know. Like, could you? I don't know. I was just like, that moral question. I don't know if I could like, do it. I'm going to be honest. And that's totally selfish to say you couldn't do it. But I think. Right? I don't think it's selfish. You could do it yourself. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it's still figure it out. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. How hard that's is it funny. to kill yourself, really? Fall down the stairs real quick. Oh, dude, especially him. He, he couldn't use his legs. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Ragged all the way. <laughs> Jesus. Oopsies. But you're not wrong. You can, but I won't stop you, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> Jeez. But, but yeah. Yeah. It was that scene, though. I thought Nick Offerman's acting was spectacular. Yeah. Whereas he was coming to grips with this thing and what was going on. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, that'd be hard. Should that be just so hard to know, like, oh, God, yeah, it's over. Yeah. And you, you kind of know, too, that you're in a shit situation where it's like, yeah, you're paralyzed or whatever this disease is, it's killing you and you're done. And maybe in another, in another life, you could have survived this or been brought out of whatever this disease is but uh like he says there's no mri salesman coming to the door like fuck like that's hard that would be such a that'd be an infuriating position to be in to have a disease that you could have gotten cured for and then you could remember a time where this wouldn't have killed you but here you are and we fucked it all up and now you just get to die that's like, oh, no. Yeah. I, I think he did say that there was no cure before. Oh, yes. Which, okay. So I'm wrong about that. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I, that brings up an interesting point. Because um, it's still like, one, if that was the case, then it's like, damn, this didn't happen. But then even almost scarier is like, all of this is happening. I almost forgot that I have something that's killing me on the inside, regardless of what's going on out, outside of all this. Right. Um, and, it, and I, I think they were right to, in some sense, do it the way that they did it because it hammers home the fact that just because the world has ended doesn't mean the world has ended. Like things still, you can still get cancer. <laughs> just because there are no fucking hospitals anymore doesn't mean you can't get sick. That the normal mundane things, the boring things that'll kill you, those are still all there. There are right. just. <laughs> I mean, shit, you probably could trip and break your leg or something and die of an infection in this world easier than, like, yeah. the things that were once that are like, hey, that's no big deal, are now a big deal again in this world where medicine is probably few and far between. We're at the dinner scene, which yeah. is really at the very end of this episode, or close to the very end of the episode. Yeah. And both of their acting here really blew me away. I was really, especially because I don't know much about uh, Murray Bartlett. I think he was in the first season of white lotus maybe i'm probably wrong he probably just looks like the guy i'm thinking of so don't we can check that or something but um at least for nick offerman i've seen him in a few other things um 
I was like, oh my god, dude. I never thought he was a bad actor, <laughs> but I was like, this was and the short amount of time that they had to create that emotion with the audience. It's not like we've known them for episodes, right? We just met yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, you're effectively introducing 30, a brand ago. new character to an audience through the third episode. <laughs> yeah, and it's a closed storyline. Their storyline starts and ends. Um, and to create, which is like almost everyone that watched it, I saw so many posts yesterday about how like impactful and emotional that was. And I was like, they, they did something special there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they did. And I thought the makeup, like the three cheers to the makeup artist, because I was like, they really do look old. <laughs> like, damn. Do you guys see it at the end um, when they do the, like the interviews with the cast and crew? They had one with Nick Offerman and he was completely yeah, shaven. It was so weird. I was not expecting <laughs> yeah, that. I was like, I was like where's like... the mustache? <laughs> yeah, I was like, who the fuck is that guy? That <laughs> was not the same guy. <laughs> It was not what I expected at all. <laughs> and then I think too, the way they ended this episode was insane. Cause I don't know if you didn't start crying in the previous scene, but then uh, Frank is like, you put it in there too, didn't you? And he's like, yep. Enough to kill a horse. And it's like, I'm like, God damn it, Bill. <laughs> And I, I like almost do it. I was like, there was two options that were going in my brain. It's either he's not going to do it or two, he's going out with him. Obviously chose option number two. And I was like, God damn, that's rough. Um, and then it's like, they immediately jump to Joel and Ellie. And I thought this is like the perfect way to like, instead of doing the boring travel sequence where you just have Ellie and Joel doing mundane things, traveling to this place to find Bill, you tell a more emotional or impactful story, however you want to describe it. And then you get Joel and Ellie there to pick up where things left off. And I'm like, damn, this is so interesting. Cause like everything has a layer of dust over it. They're getting in there. It's like the candles. I think the first thing you notice is the candles are all melted down when they walk into the house. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So time, like some time has passed. It's not so much time that like things have degraded, but probably like a couple weeks, maybe. Um, yeah, the, they show the the first thing they see is, well, he has to like flew in and open the place. He sees the wilted flowers outside the house. Yeah. And then it's like, no one's been watering the flowers. It hasn't rained, <laughs> but all right. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, then they go and they do all the rest of that stuff. And you get the sense that this not, nothing is where it should be is how it it's a be. ghost town effectively. And then you yeah. you get Ellie sitting at the table as Joel's kind of picking around the house and make sure there's nothing fishy. Um, but Ellie finds the letter and it's like to Joel or whoever it may concern. And you get classic Ellie, little bantery wit. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I figured I was whoever. <laughs> and she starts reading it out loud. And then, it hits you in the feels again because as soon as she's about to say Tess, she freezes um, because obviously it's still too fresh. Mm -hmm. And I thought that hit another emotional note. Like after everything we go through and then you're confronted with like the reality of like Joel's failure, I guess, or at least as perceived by Joel. And the, at the end of the episode when they do the, the breakdowns, this is what Neil Druckmann had said where 
basically it was Joel's already still beating himself up over his daughter's death. And now he's going to be beating himself up over the death of Tess, even though in an indirect way, he was not really the cause of it because she just got bit, but he's like, the luck runs out at some point. Right. Um, but it, I don't know. It just felt really tense. And like, you could see the walls of Joel come back up because immediately Joel's like, all right, Ellie, if you're going to be with me, you're going to, we're going to have to set some ground rules about my emotional availability is zero. Like you don't get none of it. Yeah. I saw the same walls go up, but it's like immediately he just hunkers down. He's like, you think he's going to go outside and like cry and let it all out or something? Mm-hmm. Nope. Just who takes a moment to just, oh, and just stuff it all down. <laughs> like, oh, I Ooh, love man, buddy, I feel for you. <laughs> I love that. I was really like, I hope he doesn't cry. I hope he doesn't cry. Cause I was like, that just, it wouldn't feel right. I was like, I almost want to like yeah. swallow it. Like, you know he what did I mean? It. Like, right, he definitely did know. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah literally, he like, as an audience haven't earned his cry yet. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, but what's cool, what I thought was really cool, at least, um, that the letter you, it reads before they say who it's about. You see that it's about Tess, right? It reads when he's like, we have a job to do to protect the ones we love. You know, it's like, oh, he's referring to Ellie, but then it's like, no, he's not. But that's who that burden, that responsibility is now passed to. Cause like, who's Joel with? What's his job now? And so it's like, it almost feels like <laughs> the show is just now starting. Cause like, we're starting to get to like the real, like, we three episode prologue. You know <laughs> <laughs> like literally it's like here's what's going on you meet everyone like we're like now we kind of know what's going on we know the stakes joel and ellie are on their own there's there's no bill and frank there's no tests it's them right and so now they're going to this wyoming yeah wyoming is where uh, tommy is and he used to be a firefly so yeah. joel's like well maybe my brother knows wherever the f- hell you need to go yeah and so it's like and they're in boston right? yeah or just outside of they, boston at this point Yeah. So it's like, okay, the journey, now they're going across country. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, um, I just love the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. just so good. Like, I thought it was great. Like, they're scrounging around the house. Like, all of a sudden, they're just gathering weapons and supplies and whatnot. And you just kind of have, it's, in some sense, you get to live the story through Ellie's perspective. Because she doesn't know what, like, life was pre-infection. So she's like, wait, they have hot water here? Like, this childlike innocence kind of shows up randomly. Uh, or not randomly, but, like, just given the circumstance. Because, it's like, she's like, we're going to take a shower. I was like, I'm going to take a shower. And she's like, you're going to take a shower, too. Because, uh. <laughs> Like, you get that. And then when they're charging the car battery, and then she gets in the car, she's like, it's like a spaceship. Because she's never been in a car before. Like, mm-hmm. as this the, the episode is ending, you you really get this sense of, like, and then Joel can't help himself but turn on the dad mode again because he's like, put on your seatbelt. But then she's like, I don't know what the hell that is. And then he has to reach over and, and he's like being awkward about it because he's like, I don't want to touch you, but here's the seatbelt. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to be intimate yet because feelings are gross and icky. <laughs> yeah, I I liked that whole ending. I liked that he's like all hampered down and he's all like mission focused and ready and he's getting upset with her for pulling out the cassette tape to play the music and he's like don't put on fucking and she's not listening to him 
Then he goes, oh, wait. And then like he becomes a person for a moment and the guard drops and he's like, oh, I love this song. And then it's immediately father-daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, this, this art is so good. And she's like, who the hell is that? He's like, you don't know. <laughs> like, oh, my music is not old. <laughs> <laughs> There's also an apocalypse that interrupted that whole thing, but whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I loved it. And it's like, it's teasing the development yeah. of their Oh, and speaking of music, yeah. uh, the, the, in the Bill's bunker, there, there was a song playing. It was the 80s soundtrack that played on the radio at the end of the first episode. So again, little breadcrumb trail of these little unconnected dots that are being picked, like leapfrogged through every episode to kind of give people the connective tissue. Is like, these things aren't just random. Like, they're planned out. I mean, they're kind of like beats, but not really like core beats, but still. It like... I don't know. It's just really cool. This little attention to detail of like, oh, Bill's gone. So that's why this started playing. Like, <laughs> it's really fun yeah. to just pay attention. Yeah. And um, I know we texted each other this. Um, Wenzel, you might have sent it. But yeah, green light for season two yes. already. That's amazing. I'm oh, yeah. really hyped about it. Uh, before it was officially announced, some there was a rumor that Abby was casted already so or at least they had an actress picked out to pick play the character she's a plays a core role in the second game then also to to, to reiterate i officially started streaming the season of, of the uh, of the game the ps5 remaster of the game on the youtube channel as well um it's really interesting like playing the playing the game and watching the show in tandem almost because I've, I've streamed for like in almost three hours now which coincides like within the first two episodes of the show i tried to do that on purpose for people who want to experience both in parallel god damn is it like re like the core beats of it are so close like from a dialogue standpoint like obviously there's way more action in the game like more impacted more things like that you know more game obviously but like the things that like come out of it is like the character moments of like Ellie doing something silly and like making noise or freaking out or or like how Joel or Tess interact in the world um it, it's really interesting to see I think so far in at least in the game the biggest difference is the way uh Tess sacrifices herself it's not the infected that kill her it's Fedra and um they I I thought the show actually did that better than the game because it feels way more emotionally impactful. Um, it's way more chaotic in the game where you, she's like, I'll stay behind, hold him off for a little bit, you keep going. And then you find out she immediately, like she, I think kills like two guys and then you see her dead body as you're like leaving. So it's like, it's like that kind of stuff that they're able to ratchet up the emotional response because they still have to give the player control over the story beats rather than doing it all via cutscene. Um, we're in a show, obviously, everything's a cutscene. <laughs> so that's just kind of my like playing three hours of the game so close to the show. It's it's kind of it's actually really fun as like a from like a story analysis of like being able to talk about this. <laughs> so I think that about covers it. I do have to give props to Craig Mazin, who's the writer on this episode as well. This dude, he gets this content, man. <laughs> he knows what he wants Congrats. to tell, or at least what, what he can 
do to like play with the story. Um, and he's the guy that wrote yep. Chernobyl, right? Yep. Yeah. Craig is. He's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he's just really good. Yeah. It's, it's really special to see this kind of stuff, honestly. Um, as another side note, a little bit of a tangent, but I still keep in touch with the Halo community a little bit on YouTube. And a lot of the Halo fans are a little bit salty about how well. Jealous. Yeah, like they're like, man, this is what Halo could have been if we had people that cared. <laughs> See, that's all you need. And I'm saying this now because as a person who grew up with Halo and would love to see Halo done right, please do it right. <laughs> Say on the Halo front, um, Halo's on Paramount Plus, right? Yeah. So they yeah. just merged with Showtime. They're going to do a whole rebrand. Um, so potentially that could bode well for Halo because Showtime typically does a good job with their shows. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I also heard the person who so was like we'll in see. charge of the Halo show that at Microsoft, she has moved into a different role, it, it being not as connected to the Halo brand at Microsoft. <laughs> I would so hope you're, you're just, she moved into a different role, unemployed. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, there has been a lot of people laid off at Microsoft, so it's, there's hope. <laughs> Let me put it this way. 343 Industries, the upper management of that branch that does Halo is completely gutted. So there is yeah. a changing wow. of the guard in the Halo world. Oof. Too soon if it's good or bad, but from the impression I have from the people who really know about what the Halo community has been like, um... A lot of people are really excited about the people that have been moved out or let go for the direction of that. And obviously, this is totally tangential to what we've been talking about the rest of this episode. But for those people who want to see more video game things or just stories done well, I think it's important to highlight. The people at the top who are the visionaries, you know, the people who are supposed to keep the vision sacred and protect it and shepherd it to being something good. I think it shows, right? Like if you watch all of the, and we kind of bring this back to Last of Us, but if you watch all the post credit stuff with like how they bring the story to life, Neil Druckmann is front and center. He has at least a couple uh, things to say for every episode. And I think that really shows to the attention of care and detail going on behind the scenes it's not just this guy who's the president or ceo of the company like yeah i'm gonna trust my people to do this right like this is a guy who wants to see this done well because he gives a shit about how it, well it's done so i think that'll i think that'll do it before i get off my i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> i sound like a shill for creatives at this point <laughs> We could use a few more shells for creatives, yeah. especially if they have money and they're actually going to fund something that isn't just an old IP renewed in a terrible way. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And that's what, I mean, that's really a large part why we're doing this kind of stuff, because the only way we, we make a difference is by highlighting things that are either working or not working. And you just say it honestly so that people can take the feedback to heart and uh, adjust. On to episode four, or stay tuned for the next episode I stream the game. <laughs>